to part two of the Women's History Month podcast for this month. I am with Kylie Robinson, Business Insider Tech Reporter, and we are going to talk today about her career and her experience in tech. So Kylie, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, um, I'm a tech reporter for Business Insider. I used to be a tech reporter for the State Hornet. Um, yeah, I graduated last May, so it's been, it's been a blast. I've been a reporter for a year now. Tell us how you became a tech reporter and how you ended up at Business Insider. Yes. So I studied information systems at Sacramento State, and I had always loved writing, but I wasn't sure how to mesh technology and writing. So I applied, quote unquote, to the State Hornet because I wasn't sure how it worked. Um, And the then editor-in-chief, Margarita, was like, hey, you could just join the class. Um, I don't know how we're going to fit in tech reporting, but, you know, have at it. So I rearranged my entire schedule, took 18 units, like two weeks into the semester, um, and approached Stu, the advisor, and was like, listen, I want to do tech reporting. He's like, all right, we'll put you in the opinion section. Um, And I just took off from there. I didn't know what tech reporting even entailed. I just knew that I wanted to write about tech. Um, Yeah, and then eventually... I started tweeting more about, you know, our articles and Taylor Lorenz, who's a, who was a tech reporter at the New York Times, she retweeted some of my articles and that got picked up by my current editor at Business Insider. I tweeted something like, uh, you know what, it would be great if I could talk about niche tech communities for, you know, some publication. And my editor responded via DM and was like, uh, hey, do you want to interview for Business Insider? And I was like, yes, oh my God, I freaked out. Uh, After like five rounds of interviews, you have to do a writing test, which is like a four-hour writing test. Um, I got in to the internship, six months, then I became a junior reporter, and then three months after that, I became a full-time reporter. Wow. That sounds like just about the dream, (laughs) the dream life and trying to get into journalism at this point. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, It... It says something about the power of just tweeting. (laughs) Right? And you already had a pretty big following up until this point. Like, I remember when I first followed you and I was like, oh, wait, is this like a celebrity, like a mini celebrity in our class, like, that I didn't know about? Yeah, I got really lucky in terms of what I was passionate about and how that aligned with my, my current, I don't know, my beat, because I'd already wanted to be a developer, a software developer, because that was what my major was. So I planned to be a software developer. I tweeted a lot. I gained followers from other software developers who were learning or like were just interested in seeing someone new join the industry. So when I did like a right turn into journalism, it just worked out. So mm-hmm. that's what happened. It was nice. Great. And speaking of software developers, I have to ask, how was it interviewing Cody Co? If anyone who doesn't know who Cody Co is, um, he is a YouTuber, but before that, he used to, like, really be, like, into, like, computer and, like, tech. Um, but he's, like, super famous. How was it interviewing him? Because I love him, and I, I just have to ask. That's so funny. Cody Co. was so cool. Um, I say this a lot. Like, I love what I do because of the people I get to talk to all the time. And if I find someone, like, cool like Cody Co., I'm like, let me just email them and see if they want to talk. That's such a fun privilege to have. Um, I did not think Cody Co was going to want to talk about software development, but he was stoked. And uh, as I posted, he said in his podcast that it made him giddy to talk about um, his software development career. Yeah, it was awesome. He was really cool, really nice, really funny. Um, 
He definitely seems a little bit nervous in like a way that he's not usually asked these questions. He's an, he's like a celebrity. He's not talking about, mm-hmm. you know, how I used to code back when I was a teenager. Um, but that was like his, his start. He actually was, if I, if I recall correctly, he was roommates or fraternity brothers with the person who created Cameo, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. So um, that was his start was traveling around the world with the Cameo founder and I asked Cody if, like, he regretted not joining Cameo, and he was like, no, because, you know, I'm, a, I'm basically a celebrity now. But, yeah, Cody was super, super cool. That was a trip to be able to talk to him. Yeah, that was really cool. I remember I, I fangirled a little bit when I saw that. I was like, by proxy, I kind of met Cody Co. you know? You totally did. Um, and in, in terms of, like, your reporting, what kind of, like, pieces are you more, like, entailed to, like, want to do all the time? Is it, like, you do a lot of breaking news. But, like, do you like the more, like, long-form interviews with, like, these kinds of developers or, like, people in your industry? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I love breaking news. I don't know why. It's just the adrenaline rush of being able to talk about something so important and, like, coming together with editors and other journalists to just write something fast and important. I love breaking news. Um, but other than that, I love talking to developers, people who are creating interesting projects and they're super passionate about it. Like Cody was one of those people who had had a coding career and he was passionate about talking about it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably what I love to do is is break down someone's story, um, what they create, what they're interested in, what they see for the future of, you know, whatever technology they're into. I, I'm a huge fan of that type of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen you get like a few scoops in the past few months, like the Peloton uh, stories. How did that kind of come about? Like, how did you get the news for that, the leak? And then kind of talk me through the process of like how you've gone through this um, experience with like reporting on that. Yeah. Um, so the Peloton whirlwind that was, it's way off beat. You know, I cover software developers for enterprise tech. And for people who don't know what enterprise tech is, that's business-to-business technology, and Peloton is business-to-consumers. So someone had tipped me that they were being underpaid. They were a black woman at Peloton. They said, I have a lot of uh, colleagues who also believe that they're underpaid. So I spent a month talking to that person and their colleagues. That was a trip, honestly, just spending that much time reporting. I've never done that before for one story. So I investigated for a while, a lot of cold reach outs. What they don't tell you when I was a college journalist is that I spent, I don't know, a whole week in 600 reach outs. Like you're just messaging people all day, every day. Most of them are telling you to like, go screw yourself. Don't talk to me. But you get lucky. You'll you'll message 600 people and and two or three will message back and there's your your tips. Um, So I wrote the first story, Black at Peloton, about how those people those people were being underpaid and how they were fighting back. And once I published that story, what they say or what I've been told is that if you want to work on something like Peloton, it starts with little building blocks. You don't start with one big scoop. Usually, sometimes it happens, but it's building blocks. So I published that story and eventually I got someone who messaged me on Signal and was like, hey, I have another tip. And they tipped me off about... John Foley had a huge party. So Foley had this huge party and they're like, this is very upsetting because we didn't even get our bonuses this year uh, because of the stock performance. Right after my first story dropped that same week, the, their stock dropped. If I have it, if I remember correctly, it was 
30, 45%. It was a huge stock drop um, after their earnings. So they're like, this is unacceptable. I wrote about the tip there, which again, just another building block, not a huge scoop or anything. Um, and then after that, I just kept getting more tips and more tips and more tips, uh, which led to um, CNBC covered the production halt. I had gotten that slideshow a week before, but I was in Breckenridge, Colorado at the time mm-hmm. for a week. So proves that I shouldn't be taking vacation. But <laughs> yeah, I got I got slideshows about um, production halts and um, layoffs. Most importantly, they they plan to lay off like 40 percent of their inside sales or something like that. Anyways, it, it just it just ended up being building blocks that turned into tips because people will Google Peloton reporters and it's your byline that's going to be towards the top and that's who they'll email. That's who they'll email. So that's how it worked out for me. Yeah, and it seems to have gotten like a lot of success. I was looking at your, um, I like looked you up on a Business Insider. It's like the first story that shows up for you. It's like a bunch of the Peloton stuff. And I obviously see you tweeting about it like all the time. So I'm like, damn, like this is like some really big stuff that's going on over there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that helped too, as much as you, like, if you talk about it, you know, I have people reaching out, like I saw your tweet about it and I'm giving you a tip or how it worked out. My very first tip for Peloton, the person had reached out to someone I profiled and was like, do you know a trustworthy journalist I can send this tip to? And she was like, oh, I've talked to Kylie. So reach out to her. So establishing, you know, that reputation of being a trustworthy, kind journalist to talk to has been where almost all of my tips have come from, all my scoops. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned like kind of what you learn in college journalism as opposed to like what you're learning now. What are like some things that have really surprised you with that change? I didn't realize how competitive it was. For one, it is really competitive out here. People... Um, do not want to share their beats, their scoops, you know, it's competitive. You wouldn't expect that. Um, I haven't been in a real newsroom because of COVID since the state Hornets. So I guess I would love to know how a real like professional newsroom newsroom works Mm -hmm. because the state Hornet was, I don't know, fast paced. You're all together. You get to share story ideas. That was always fun. Um, So in terms of what's different, the, the sheer amount of, of reach outs was one of them. It just, it requires a lot of, if you want to do a story like that, the ones that I was doing for Peloton, there was a lot of investigating and reporting involved. That takes months and Excel sheets and organizing. It almost feels like, I think I've, I've read this, is like writers are people who agree to do homework for the rest of their lives. That's, <laughs> that's how it feels to be a reporter. It's just like, I'm always... I'm interested in topic. It becomes like my assignment, obviously, and I'm just researching for for weeks and weeks and talking to people. I didn't do that at the State Hornet. I was able to just be like, I like this idea and let me write it, you know? So that's that's how it's different. And how has the help been along the way? Like, is it like you're just kind of like they throw you into the pool and hope you swim? Or is there like a lot of support kind of with this kind of um, work? Yeah, it is, I would say, almost entirely independent. And I really enjoy that. I I enjoy being able to work on my own schedule. And it does require you to be very self-sufficient. You you have to set deadlines in your mind of, I should get this done today or get it done by this day. Because there's no one out there being like, you have to do this and this and this, at least on my team. Um, when I first started, when I was a fellow, it was huge, just like throw you in energy. 
Uh, I had never been in a professional newsroom. I was still in school at the time, had two classes granted, but I was working 40 hours a week or more as a fellow. Um, and I remember saying when I started, I was like, okay, uh, do I like write my first article in a week? And my editor was like, no, you write your first article today. <laughs> and then you're going to write, you're going to write five more in the next six days. So oh, shit. yeah, it, it was, it was a lot. I, I was not prepared for what it took to be a professional journalist, but it's calmed down. I don't know. It, in intern world, it was it was a lot more strenuous than it is now, honestly. Um, but I have a mentor, so I think having a mentor is super important. You have to seek those people out. I, I it was Stu who told me when I was too scared to like approach real big time journalists like Taylor Lorenz. She, she works at the Washington Post now, but like she has been integral to my growth too. Anytime I'm like really stressed about some journalism problem, like should I have done this or like getting a correction. It's the worst feeling in the world. So mm-hmm. like I called her and it was just like, I got a correction. I, I shouldn't be a journalist. And she's like, I've gotten like three or four corrections on one story before. She's like, don't trip. So having those people who have been in there for a while, um, so integral to, to being a professional journalist. Um, my boss, having a good team and having a good editor, I think is the most important thing about, um, I don't know, my, my career so far, I would rather stay inside of forever and have a great editor that supports me. And, you know, he, he's been great. Then go to a, a bigger publication like the New York Times and have an editor that is not there for me at all. So mm-hmm. I think that's that's been important as well. That's really cool. I love that you have that like support, even though you kind of like did have to get thrown into it. But I feel like that's how you learn, right? Like you are where you are now because they were like, here, six stories, one week, like yeah. figure it out. Yeah. I love that. Um, and you've gone through a lot of changes, at least in like the last year since graduating, how do you balance the rush of your, like your professional life with your personal? Another great question. Um, when I was in school, for example, I was, I I was the president of ski and snowboard club. I was, um, working 40 hours a week at business insider. I was, I had my senior projects, um, that was, that was a lot. I, I did struggle. I struggled and it's a learning process. It's a learning curve of like, what's, what do you value the most? And that's where you have to put your time and energy. And that's just what it is at the end of the day. And I think that's why I've been able to progress to this point of my reporting career is that you have to decide if you're going to spend hours and weeks investigating a story, is this how you move your career forward. Does this story matter to you? It, it's, it's a lot. It's a learning curve. I don't know how I, how I ended up doing it. And I don't know if I'm balanced today. Uh, I still work all week and then hang out with my friends on the weekend. It's just really about evaluating your priorities, honestly. Mm-hmm. And I saw, um, cause I follow you on Twitter. Um, and so like you, you take a lot of like social breaks, um, or you like, you know, you deleted your Twitter off of your uh, phone and you can only have it on your desktop. Like, how do you do that? Like, cause I tried that for like a day and I think I lasted maybe like two hours before I was like, nope, back on Twitter. Like I can't. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not easy. It's not easy. I, I deleted TikTok successfully. I have not gone back on that because that was like a black hole for me. I loved TikTok. It was so funny. It's curated for exactly what makes me laugh. Um, so that one stuck for Twitter. I deleted it off my phone, the app. But unfortunately, during the week, 
I, I message people for stories and that's how I like, I don't know, research a lot of stuff is through Twitter. Mm -hmm. So it has eventually made its way back into my Safari app. So I had logged out of Safari to avoid this, but then I logged back in for whatever reason and now it's stuck. So now I just have like the really, uh, unfortunate access. I'm just like going through Safari, uh, to access Twitter. So I'm not perfect at it, but it does help to not have it as easily accessible. Um, because I just go crazy. I'll scroll forever. Mm-hmm. And during your big times on Twitter, um, I've seen a lot of like, I guess hate or just like, just a lot of shit said towards you. And I, I can't tell if it's just because like you're a woman or because you're in tech. And obviously like that's a really big like male dominated field. So like men feel the need to tell you a lot of stuff, even though you're pretty experienced in what you do. How do you deal with that? Like when you see that kind of stuff, what has the change been in like the beginning of when you were first getting it to now? Yeah. I don't feel like I get as much hate as, I don't know, really big time software developers that are women. It's always women. I remember scrolling through like a really famous software developer who happened to be a woman, her replies and just seeing straight vitriol. It is, it was garbo. So I don't get, I don't get as much hate. I, I don't think I get much hate at all, but I just get really dumb responses from men. I, I, I do. And, and that sucks. Like they'll, they'll, they'll assume things about me. How I fix that basically is just turning off my replies. It's, it's easier to, to remove that feature than it is mm-hmm. to read what they have to say. Because mm-hmm. like I've said, I've tweeted in the past, it's just too much access to my brain. Like mm-hmm. I remember these things when people say crappy things, I remember them and I don't want to see them to begin with. Um, I would say I got more crap in my replies before I was a journalist just because I was a a woman in STEM. I was like, I was in a very male dominated field. And I feel like when I worked in IT, I was one of the only women in my department, except for another one. And our names were like constantly confused. And Mm -hmm. it was Evelyn and Kylie. It sounded nothing alike, but that was just like my experience of being a woman in in tech in journalism my my team currently is all women except for two guys so it's it's been nice i think that i'm i'm blessed in that way and being able to delete twitter off my phone not scroll as much these have all they've all been tools to keep me safer on the internet and I can't recommend enough to women who are journalists to lock down all of your information. My LinkedIn is private. Um, Instagram is private. I have a like professional Instagram, but for your own safety, your own peace of mind, if you want to be a successful journalist, there's going to be people who are really awful to you. So it's best to lock that down early. Well, that's actually like a lot of, I think help. I think, um, at least I, I'm still, like, trying to learn, like, kind of how to, like, balance the personal life of it and then, like, also do, like, professional. So I think that'll probably help um, for a lot of people because I have seen, like, a lot, at least some of my peers have, like, a lot of following and I wonder what it's like for them to, like, maybe get those DMs every once in a while, like, talking shit, which is probably really annoying. But, um, yeah. yeah, I'm surprised you're able to balance it so well because I think I, that would just drive me crazy. Yeah, it's really important to separate your personal life from journalism instead of making them the same thing, which happens for a lot of journalists. And I think it's hard. I think it's because it is your life. 
when I'm not working, I'm scrolling and I'm reading news anyways, and I'm thinking of ideas and it's hard to remove it from your personal life, but it's, it's integral in the long run to not burn you out so you can be a journalist, you know? Mm -hmm. And how has been your experience with burnout? Have you gotten to that point yet? And if you have, like, how did you combat it? Oh goodness. I think everyone, even student journalists and editors suffer from nonstop work. I think I remember very well from the state Hornet. A lot of us were burnt out between school and in articles and deadlines, all that. It's, it's a lot. What has helped me is again, like those priorities, you know, what I prioritize is my mental health and my health overall. I, I make time for, for going to the gym or, or meditating or listening to a podcast or putting on a face mask, things that just like keep me stable over Mm -hmm. any story or deadline or interview that I have. That's, that's what you got to do because at the end of the day, you're, you're there for you, but your, your writing, your, your career is not going to be the only thing that supports you forever. You just need to prioritize yourself um, at the end of the day. So uh, yeah, I have burnt, been burnt out before, especially covering Peloton. That was because I was sacrificing my weekends, my nights, uh, interviewing people and writing and not prioritizing myself. I was prioritize, prioritizing my career. And sometimes that's beneficial. You know, mm-hmm. it's beneficial to be on top of a story, but you can't do it forever. So you got to prioritize yourself. Mm-hmm. And what has been one of your favorite stories or like one of the, your favorite people that like you've interviewed so far in your career? Um, favorite person I've interviewed, I I used to think that I could keep track of my stories forever. Like, (laughs) but the more you write, I I do, I do forget who I've talked to. Um, Cody Ko was for sure the coolest because I used to watch it on Vine as a kid. Like Mm -hmm. that was super cool. Um, there's this Twitch streamer called Code Miko. I interviewed her and before I'd started at Insider, like just as I was getting started, I told my roommate, I was like, I would love to interview her, but there's no way they're not going to let me do that. It's just not mm-hmm. going to happen. And one day I pitched it to my editor who was like, yeah, sure, go for it. I don't care. So <laughs> I, I interviewed her, which was really cool because I, I, I liked watching her. So Code Miko, Cody Ko, um, there's so many developers who are doing cool things that I've talked to. It's hard to choose. Um, and in terms of favorite stories, I love scoops. Unfortunately, I think scoops are... Or my favorite always will be my favorite. Um, yeah, I, it's hard to choose a favorite. There's just so many. Obviously, you've done a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, it's enjoyable, to say the least. That's great. Um, so this is going up, uh, obviously, during Women's History Month. Uh, can you just give us a little insight why you feel like it's important for women to pursue their dreams, even though it may not always fit into the norm of careers that other people see them pursuing? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. It's so important to just, I don't know, do what's right for you. Pursue your dreams. It it builds confidence and it, I didn't want to not pursue journalism because I, it wasn't what I was supposed to do, right? I was supposed to be a developer. That's what makes money. Writers don't make money or whatever. Whatever I was supposed to do, that path was in front of me, but I chose to be a journalist instead because that was just my dream. That was my passion. I can't, recommend enough pursuing that because I didn't want to live a life where I was like well what if I had done that you know what if I had done Mm -hmm. that and been really successful you should be able to say like I followed my dreams I know that I did everything in my power to 
I don't know, live the life that I wanted to live, not the life that everyone chose for me. Um, when it comes to women, I think we have a lot more traditional limits of what you're supposed to do. Um, especially I'd say in journalism, people fear, women fear that if you start a family, right, you detriment your career. I don't know. We have so many limits and I don't think you should set any for yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. right, I love that. Um, and just kind of to end it all off, um, where do you see yourself in the next five to 10 years? Is it at Business Insider? Do you have other aspirations to move up higher? Um, kind of where, where do you see your goals? Five to 10 years. Mm. I go back and forth with this a lot because as much as I've done so far in a year, I'm still, you know, very, very early on in my career. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways I could go. Um, I'd like to say I'm an editor somewhere helping other young journalists. I'm a mentor to other young journalists. I'm kind of stepped out of the way to help others uh, pursue their dreams as journalists. Um, maybe an insider. It's hard to say. It's wherever the best editors are, truly, that's, that's where I'll be. Okay. Well, thank you, Kylie, so much for talking with me today. Um, I hope someone got something out of this because Kylie is really one of the most amazing people that I've gotten to work with. Um, over, you know, and I've got to see your growth a lot for the past few years. So I'm really happy for you. And I'm glad that you're like, you were able to pick something that you really, truly loved and enjoyed. Um, and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Magali. You're the best too. Thank you for having me. All right. Bye everyone.